This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Derek Armstrong and Word of Grace Community Church. For more information, please visit wogcc.com. Well, the title of my message this morning is The Problem Within the Problem. We've been talking uh, in the series about behind the scenes, really discovering not just what we appear to be, not what we try very hard to convince others that we have together, but what's really going on behind the scenes. So we're going to talk about the problem within the problem today. And I want to have a little bit of a Valentine twist on it since it is Valentine's Day. And that's a kind of a rare thing that happens to where we actually have a Sunday where it's actually Valentine's Day. So I did a little research and found out that St. Valentine was beheaded in 262 A.D. <laughs> Super romantic, right? <clears throat> I thought we would kick things off, a little romance in the air. Um, Actually, you know, as I began to do some study about the person, St. Valentine, uh, actually, he lived in a time where the emperor was so intent on having the strongest army in the land that what the emperor did was he actually forbade all of the men in the army to be married, wouldn't allow them to get married because he thought that if they were married, they would have families, they would have wives, people to care about, and that would be a distraction from them doing their best duty on the battlefield. So it wasn't allowed. But what the emperor did allow was he said, why don't you guys just go be as promiscuous as you want? He provided them with uh, prostitutes, provided them with concubines, all sorts of things that he thought would pacify them so they wouldn't want to get married. So this was not God's design. This was not God's best. And St. Valentine said, this is morally corrupt. This is not the way God wants us to be. So St. Valentine secretly would marry soldiers who desired to be married in secret. And he eventually got caught, he eventually was found out, and he was tortured three different times before eventually being beheaded, all because of his stance on marriage. And as I think about that, I begin to think about, man, it's very familiar in our world that the biblical definition of marriage, God's design for sex, God's design for purity, God's design for relationships, are all under attack. And just like in St. Valentine's Day, we can't control what other people do, whether they do it to us, whether the pressure of society, whether the um, cultural norms that are thrown at us. But what we can control is our response to the world around us. Amen? We're called to be salt and light. We're called to affect change. And that is in every area of our lives. And I especially believe in this area of marriage that's been so greatly under attack that we need to invest in relationships. We need to invest in our marriages. We need to invest in our families behind the scenes because we need to trust that God's way is the best way and we need to trust in His principles. So we can't control other people, but we can control our response. Just because culture trends a certain way doesn't mean we have to play by the rules. Amen? somebody that's why in Romans 12 and 2 the apostle Paul said this to the church in Rome he said that you need to be transformed he said by the renewing of your mind he said don't be conformed to this world I love where one translation says don't be conformed to the pattern of this world so there's a pattern that this world has that says this is how things should be isn't it interesting that when we turn on the television that it's called a television program. Isn't that interesting that the media will use their propaganda to program societal norms into a generation? 
They'll say, this is what's acceptable. This is how you should think. This is how you should dress. This is how you should look. This is how you're accepted. This is what success looks like. And the media would love to program into a generation a certain ideology and a certain set of values that's very driven by self, that's very driven by our own internal desires that are very corrupt and wicked, and it only exposes those things and validates those things and justifies those things and makes them to where they're acceptable regardless of what you do. There's no moral compass. There's no boundaries. There's no don't do this. It's whatever makes you happy. If it feels good, do it. It doesn't matter. Whatever you want to do. Marriage is not sacred. That's just for old people. That's for people who think a certain way. So we're just going to go and basically destroy at the foundation God's design for all of these things that he set in order as a pillar and as a foundation for a society in order to get at the very heart of what God would love to do in our land. But the enemy knows that the family is the foundation. He knows that marriage is a principle that God set in order. And so the enemy loves to attack families and marriages. Because he knows if he can get at those things, that the society is going to crumble. Because God instituted marriage and he instituted the family... One of the very first things that he ever instituted was that. And we need to understand that just because the world says that a family should look this way, or just because the world says marriage is not important or it can be this way or that way, that doesn't mean that we have to play by the rules of societal norms because Paul said it best where he said, don't be conformed to this world. Don't play by their rules. He said, be transformed, rather, by the renewing of your mind. This really helps us to acknowledge that before receiving Christ, our natural way of thinking was very sinful, very self-driven, and it very much is reflective of the culture and what culture carved out for us. The whole mantra of I want to make my own destiny, I want to do whatever makes me happy, where there's no greater cause on this planet than my individual happiness. And we think that that's the goal of our lives is just that we get everything that we want and we get to do everything we think is important and we chase after those things as if that were the goal of life. We're just to accumulate a bunch of stuff or have uh, this, great, uh, this great position where people would respect us or whatever the case may be and we chase after those things as if they're somehow going to make us content, that they're somehow going to satisfy us. And man, it really just breaks my heart when we begin to look that way because all of us fail, all of us fall short, all of us have these issues to where we begin to look to things to satisfy us. You guys seen that video that circulated around the internet a while back of the uh, people who, I believe it's somewhere in Asia, where they received Bibles for the very first time? Anybody see that video? It was moving. Man, it wrecked me to the core. Because here it is, we get excited about all these little trinkets and treasures and things like that. And here they are in persecuted Asia where Christianity is not allowed. You'll be imprisoned or killed if you go and you profess Christ or you're caught with a Bible or anything like that because they're under communism and that's not allowed. And these people received a Bible for the very first time. And these people were bawling and weeping and just clinging to their Bible as to where we just casually go to the store and pick one up and don't think a whole lot about it. You know, we may go and actually you could probably get one for free from most places. You know, most churches will probably have some available. You don't have a Bible, we'll get you one. I mean, we just casually approach those things as to where those people who don't have that liberty and that freedom they grabbed it and treated it as something holy and sacred, and they were weeping over it. And that's, that was enough to bring so much joy to their hearts and make them so content. 
and we think all these other things we have to have to make us content. And when I was 14 years old, my favorite basketball player of all time was Reggie Miller. Okay, If you go in my office to this day, I have a small, somewhat shrine-ish montage to Reggie Miller. Um, I have all my favorite basketball cards. I have my jersey. I have little action figures, all kinds of stuff just set up in my office because I loved Reggie. He was my hero growing up, and I have all sorts of memorabilia from Reggie Miller's era in basketball. But my most prized possession that I had for, from uh, my Reggie era was he wore a pair of Nike shoes that he, uh, he, he put his name on, and those were the Reggie Miller shoes, and I wanted them so badly for my 14th, uh, or 15th rather, birthday when I was 14 years old. And I wanted them so bad, I thought, man, if I have these shoes, life is going to be complete. And I wanted these shoes more than anything. But guess what? I didn't live close to a footlocker or anywhere that sold those. This was before Amazon and eBay. And I know some of you who may be younger than me, you're going like, what? You mean it hasn't always been around? That's right. There was a time where you had to pick up a phone and call a store and ask if they had a certain item in stock. You couldn't search their inventory online because our online was... And then you were lucky if you got on at that point. So there was no Amazon. There was no eBay to shop at that time. And so I wanted these shoes so bad. And my grandpa called around, and he found a store in Memphis, Tennessee. I lived in Arkansas at the time, okay? This was like a five-hour drive. My grandpa loved me so much, he drove all the way to Memphis to the Foot Locker to buy these shoes for me. So that made them extra special. Not only were they Reggie Miller shoes, but my grandpa went to great lengths to make sure that I had the shoes I wanted. Let me tell you. Those shoes never touched anywhere but a basketball court. Because when I wore those shoes on a basketball court, my game went to a whole new level. <laughs> I swear, I could jump higher. I could run faster. It was incredible. You know, I, 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 those shoes never saw pavement. I used, to, I used to wear different shoes into the gym, and then I would switch. And as soon as I was done, I'd get home, and I would immediately clean these shoes. And I only used a certain kind of cleaner on these shoes, and it had to come from a certain store. And I, had, and I was stocked up on that. And man, this is how precious that these were to me. But guess what? Eventually, those shoes, no matter how good I took care of them, they eventually wore out. They eventually broke down. They eventually weren't any good. But it was something that at the time I thought I had to have. What we don't realize is that everything in this world is just like those pair of shoes, that it's not going to make you happy, it's not going to make you content, it may bring a temporary little high of satisfaction, and you may take the best care of whatever the thing that you think you had to have, whether it's a car, whether it's a job, whether uh, it's a certain look that you're going for, or whatever it is you're chasing after. You can possess all those things, and you're not going to be content, because let me tell you, contentment is only found in Jesus Christ. And I think that there's a little church in Asia that got some Bibles that really has a better understanding of that probably than you or I. I think that if we understand that contentment is truly found in Christ, then we can really understand how we are to respond in order to be salt and light in this world because Jesus himself told us that we are called to be salt, we are called to be light, we're called to affect change. But for change to happen, we have to think differently. And that means if society is trying to push something down our throats and saying, think this way, value this, and God says differently, somebody's got to win the tug of war, and it's not going to be the world, and it's not going to be our ideology, it's going to be God. Amen? Amen. 
Because his principles rule. His principles rule and reign. And that's how, what governs this world truly are the principles that God has established. It's not your idea, my idea that rules this world. It's God's ideology. His principles truly govern any success that anyone has ever experienced, whether that person be a believer or a non-believer. Because God has set things in motion that whether someone follows him or not, if they follow his principles, they're going to see some measure of success in life because what God puts in motion works. Amen? Amen. He set some things in motion. We need to understand that. So I need to acknowledge his supremacy and I need to acknowledge what he set in motion and I need to submit my way of thinking to his way of thinking and allow my life to be transformed by renewing my mind to be more in line with what God thinks. And because I know that those principles were established by God, the glory goes to Him. People in the world can follow the principles of God, like I said, and see some measure of success, but they don't give glory to God. They thought it was their idea. And God's like, I totally came up with that. (laughs) You just figured something out that I already set in motion. There's certain things that He has already established. We see even that, you know... um, even the, the, the principles of, of simple things, like, guess what? If you eat healthy, if you exercise, you take care of your body, you're going to be healthier. You're going to have more energy. If you don't take care of your body, it would be silly for you to go, it's not fair, that person who exercises and eats healthy has more energy than me. That person who lives beneath their means and spends less than they earned has more money than me. That's not fair. That's how people think, though, but the, the, the thing is, is that the principle still reigns regardless because God set the principle in motion. If you plant a seed in good soil, you water it, fertilize it, take care of it, it's going to grow, right? That's a principle God set in motion. He has certain things that He has put in motion that if we will trust Him and follow His way and His plan then we will see the success that will ultimately bring us contentment because it's coming from Christ. Go to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18. This is talking about the creation of man here, okay? So God's already created everything, and now he's made man, and now he sees there's an issue here after he's made man. In Genesis chapter 2, let's look at verse 18. God said it's not good that man should be alone. I'm going to make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground, the Lord formed every beast of the field, every bird of the air. He brought them to Adam and see what he would call them. Whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But Adam, but for Adam, there was not found a helper that was comparable to him. The Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. He slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. And then he woke up and his wife pinched his nose because he was snoring. And she wanted him to stop. And she said, roll over and lay on your side. That just happened to me like five times last night. (laughs) Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man. That wasn't on the screen, but it's somewhere. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into woman, and he brought her to the man. Verse 23. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. 
Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now, here we see God's intention for marriage. Here we see God's intention for sex and intimacy. Here we see God's intention as a foundational piece of society that if we follow his way and we align our values and our thinking to his way, that we're going to see things happen in a way that's going to bring God glory. It's when we stray from these principles that we begin to see corruption interfere. We begin to see man's ideology and man's reasoning come into play. And then we see societies begin to crumble as a result. Because here's the thing about principles. When we abandon principles, we pay the price. Regardless of what principle you abandon, if you abandon the principle, you pay the price. I want to point out a few things here that I find interesting about Genesis 18 through 24. The number one thing that stands out to me is that man was made from the dust of the earth and then woman was made from man's side. This was not uh, by accident. He didn't just create one one way and create one the other. He is showing us that we're both individuals, that we're both unique, and that we are to work together. Woman came from man's side, not from his foot. Amen? From his side. So we are supposed to not lord over, but rather work with, beside. Amen? Not supposed to step on, but step with and beside. And that's God's original intent is for us to be helpers, to be companions, to be where we're working together for the greater good, for our, uh, for, for our love for one another, and then for the glory of God. And then I also find it interesting that God points out in Genesis chapter 2 and 24 that a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So here God shows priority that the, that the ties of a natural-born family are not as significant as the tie between two individuals who come together under the covenant of marriage. That the natural blood that flows in your DNA, that that is not as significant as two people who have separate DNA coming together, making a covenant before God and man, and entering into the covenant of marriage. That is more serious and heavier than my tie to my dad or my mom. That's what God said. I didn't say that. He said, therefore, in other words, since this person's supposed to be with you, you're married to this individual. He said, a man shall leave his father and mother and is supposed to be joined to his wife. He said, that's the significance here. This is the weight of this. It's so important that we understand the principle that God set in motion. And then thirdly, one of the things in Genesis uh, 8, 2, 18 through 24, he said, they shall become one flesh. And this shows that God's original intention is for all sexual activity to be within the security and bond of this covenant established as the very first institution that God put on the planet. You know, that's one of the biggest things in our culture today. Everybody wants to shop around. Everybody wants to try before you buy. And they think that sex is not a big deal. And they think, oh, it's just not a big deal at all in our world today. And guess what? In our world today, sex is not a big deal. But to God, it's a very big deal. Amen? Amen. To God, it's very important because this is part of that covenant-making process. This is part of that two-becoming-one process in the eyes of God. I I, I don't want to know. But God knows. Amen? Amen. God knows. 
It's not for your eyes or for my eyes. That's another reason that pornography is so vile, is that it's exposing something private and intimate that's supposed to be between a husband and a wife in order to consecrate that covenant relationship between God and man. Not something that's supposed to be done because we're selfish and we want to have pleasure. Amen? Amen. That's, that's an extra benefit that we get is the fact that sex is pleasurable. We thank God that He made it that way. But that wasn't the purpose of it. The purpose is that you and I would understand the covenant relationship between God and man in a very uh, personal way by having a type and shadow of relationship with God between us and our spouse to where the deepest level of intimacy we would ever know would be to someone that we're committed to, that we've made covenant before God with, and that God could show us the covenant that He has with us and the commitment that He has to us. It's supposed to help point glory to God and show us His intent for us. Amen? Amen. And that intimacy is something that is supposed to be shared in only the sacredest of moments. Not something that's supposed to be sold in society as something that is cheap, something that's passing, something that's done just to gratify some humanistic urge. It's something that's supposed to be special and sacred before a holy God. Amen? Amen? And in the safety and in the security of the confines of the marriage covenant. Not anywhere else. All sexual activity. Not just intercourse. All sexual activity. Amen, somebody? That's why he said the marriage bed should be undefiled. It should be undefiled. He says it should be undefiled. But man, it's, it's in our society so much today that people have this bent towards thinking it's not a big deal. Marriage is just for those, those people that want to do that. I don't really want to do that. What do you mean? Why would you treat it as something so light? Just a piece of paper. No, no, no. It's so much more than that. It's something that should be weighty. Something that should be seen as heavy as the covenant between us and our spouse should be something that reflects the covenant between God and man. Because it's a type and shadow showing us that type of weight, that type of covenant, the deepest, most intimate relationship we'll ever know between another human being is that of our spouse. Amen? Amen. It should be. But it reflects and shows us the type of intimacy and the type of closeness that God wants between us and Him. That's why we're called the Bride of Christ. That's why we are the church that's supposed to be without spot or blemish. And He is the Bridegroom. That's why Jesus is our Savior. We are His church. We are His bride. Hmm. You see, the thing is, is that we, when we abandon principle, we pay the price. That's why there's so much corruption in our world. That's why there's so much junk in our world, because too often we followed our own pleasure, we followed our own desire in order to abandon principle, and we've paid the price for it. I mean, there is a natural result of dysfunction. There's natural result of STDs. There's natural result of all types of dysfunctional, corrupt, chaotic situations that come out of us abandoning the principles that God has set up within the confines of marriage. Amen? Amen. There's all types of, of, of results that have happened. And, and, and it's not that, 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 that these things are just happening just because. It's that they're happening because we're abandoning God's way. And God's like, man, 
Why don't you just do it my way? My way is so much better than the world's way. But we keep going with the flow of the world thinking this is the way it's got to be because this is the way that makes sense to me. This is the way I want to do it. This is the way I've always done it. Who asked you? Right? Who, what weight does your opinion have in the eyes of God? None! Absolutely none. When we abandon principle, we pay the price. We pay the price as individuals. We pay the price as a society. We pay the price in our family. Because, listen, God's way works. Amen? Amen? Amen. It works. You can try Him. You can test Him in this. He, he says, even at one point in Scripture, to test Him in some of the principles that He's thrown out there. He said, try me in it. He said, I promise you, it works. Because God's way always works. You see, when we stray from principle, it creates compound problems. When we create compound problems, then we have to try to address the chaos that's been created. And we think that now that the compound problems have been created, we try to find the latest book or the latest self-help, or the latest 10 steps, and we want to address all of the fringe, and we want to address all the chaos that's been created. You want to really solve the problems? Get back to principle. Get back to principle. You want to solve the problems in your marriage? Then stop blaming, stop pointing fingers, stop worrying about how to find a book that's going to fix him, or a book that's going to fix her. Stop going to church waiting for the pastor to say something that you can give them a good elbow about or have a good talk in a car ride home. Instead, why don't you, as an individual, make the decision to return to principle? Because there's principles in the Word of how we're supposed to navigate our relationship with one another, and it's going to be for the glory of God and for our benefit as well. That's why in Ephesians chapter 5, that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, he said that husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. Oh, man. That is a challenge. Because what did Christ do? He served the church. He said, no man takes my life. He said, I give it freely. When he bent down to wash his disciples' feet, he was done washing their feet, which was the lowest position of any servant in any home, was to wash the feet of those who entered in the home, and Jesus did that. Jesus, God in the flesh, washed the feet of his disciples. When he got up, you know what he said? What I've just done to you, do it to one another. Wow. Here we see Jesus establishing a principle of servanthood. I think oftentimes that one of the biggest failures in marriages is that we stop serving one another. Because those whom you will not serve are those that you think you're superior to. It's true. The people that you won't serve, the people that you won't have a servant's heart or servant's attitude towards are the people that you think you're better than. You think you're superior to them. And sometimes that can even creep into marriages where we stop serving one another, we stop preferring one another because somewhere in our heart we think that we're better than that person. We think we're smarter than our wives, smarter than our husbands. We think that we've got more figured out than them and if they would just do it our way that... Everything would be so much better, and they're so foolish and so stupid and so naive, and they would be lost without us. And when we begin to think that way towards our spouse, and we develop those attitudes towards our spouse, guess what? You stop writing the love notes. You stop picking up after another person, even though it wasn't your mess. 
You stop doing the selfless things that you used to do when you were dating because when you were dating and you were a smitten kitten, buddy, let me tell you, you were a servant. You may have had ulterior motive, but you were a servant. But we lose somewhere along the lines when we become very familiar with one another. We lose that, we lose that servant's heart towards one another. And I think that we have to guard that. We have to always invest in that because the principle here is servanthood. I don't want to live my life thinking that I'm better than my spouse. I'll, I'll confess to you one of my failures. Just this past week, my wife, she uh, had the, to have a tooth pulled because she had an exposed nerve in the very, uh, one of her back molars there. Oh, man. She was in so much pain. And then on top of that, she got a little flu bug. And she couldn't take the medicine that the dentist had given her to help with the pain until she could have the tooth removed because of her stomach issues that she was having. So not only was she in pain there, but she was also in pain in in her mouth as well, really struggling. So guess who had to take care of her and the kids? Yep, that would be me. And I did really good. I'll be honest, I did really good for about two days. I did. I'm just being real with you, okay? If you can't handle this, then, then, then you need to check yourself. (laughs) <laughs> Listen, I did really good for two days. I was, I was Mr. Servant. I was Mr. Johnny on the spot. I was happy to do it. I felt like I was being a good husband, being a good dad. And then my patience started wearing out, man. I started getting snappy. I started getting short with my kids. started getting short with my spouse because I was like, could you get better already? That's how I felt. I mean, I've said those things in the past and I've received, you know, shoes thrown at me and things like that as a result. No, I'm kidding. My wife doesn't throw shoes. Maybe. Um, I don't know, I don't remember, you know, but anyways, I, I failed, you know, about day three serving my wife because guess what happened? Same thing that happens to all of us. I began to feel justified in my feelings of all of the things that I had done. I began to feel I've done all of these things. When is it going to be my turn? When's it going to be my time? When's my turn to be able to be taken care of or to be resting or do something I enjoy? And then all of a sudden that servant's heart began to escape me and then I began to react out of my lack of servant and I began to react out of my feeling of entitlement. That's what caused me to be short with my kids and caused me to be, uh, you know, at, at first, because <laughs> my, my wife and I's bedroom is downstairs and so I'm going up and down the stairs. Could you go get this for me? I go down, yep, no problem. Go back up the stairs, yep, no problem, good workout. Go up and down the stairs, up and down the stairs, up and down the stairs. And then about day three, I got tired of going up and down them darn stairs. I did. And I let her know. I let her know. At first, I let her know by exhaling heavily. Because that's a way to communicate, apparently. You know, it's caveman talk. <sighs> Will you go get me a, a this or that? <sighs> That's not serving. Man, I failed. I blew it. I did. But the principle is serving. And if you don't check yourself when you begin to get to that place, then guess what happens? You drift further and further and further away. And then you begin to justify other things that you do. You begin to justify other things that you say. You feel entitled. And you hurt people in the process. Hmm. Here's what we need to do, though. Solutions, getting back to principle, and renewing the mind aligns our values with God's principle. That's what happens, and that's what you and I need to do. We need to renew our mind and align our values with God's principle. In other words, you have to admit, <clears throat> you have to admit that your way of thinking is flawed, 
Don't give any of those stares this morning. It is Valentine's Day after all. You have to admit that your way of thinking is flawed and you need to look to God's word and his principles to guide your life. You see, to fix the problem within the problem, we need to find out what principles being ignored. So instead of looking at the fringe, instead of looking at the behavior you don't like about yourself or the situation that you don't like that's going on in your life, instead of focusing on those things that have been created as a result, ask yourself, what's the principle that's being ignored? Ask yourself and ask the Holy Spirit to show you. Say, God, I want you to show me by your Holy Spirit, what is the thing that I'm ignoring? What's the principle that's being ignored here and show me in your word your principle and then dig in the word get in the word and find the principle so you can see God's way that so you can get back on track with living your life in a way that will bring glory to God and that's going to bring resolution or bring healing or help you to navigate those situations with better clarity and with better patience and focus and love and serving and all of those things. What principle is being ignored? That's the question you need to ask yourself in the process of renewing your mind. When you're trying to say, God, I want to be transformed. I want my mind to be renewed. Ask him. Say, show me, God, what principle am I ignoring? Because I know that your way is better. I know your ways are higher than my ways. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. I know, Lord, these things. Now show me. Help me to see it. Help me to identify it. Let me repent of it. It's not something we hear in church as much as we should, I think. That we need to repent. Amen? Amen. That doesn't mean to just say, I'm sorry. It means to turn. It means to do a complete 180, to repent and say, God, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to live this way. I don't want to react this way and act this way. I don't want to be addicted to this anymore. I don't want to struggle with this anymore. Father, help my mind to be renewed by aligning your values, Lord, with what I've been valuing. Help me to adopt your values, Lord. Show me the error. Show me the principle I'm ignoring so I can begin to do the things that I need to do to bring you glory. Because here's the thing. A strong society, a strong church is contingent upon strong marriages, strong families, and strong believers doing things God's way. Amen? Amen. If we're going to be a strong church, if we're going to be a strong community, if we're going to be a strong society, it's going to start with us being strong in our marriages, strong in our families, strong as individual believers. But that's only going to happen if we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God and we do things God's way. Because God's way is better than your way, it's better than my way. You see, we try to depend on the government to use tax dollars to fund more programming, to try to help more people. And we can hope that the government fixes society. All of your chuckles let me know you don't have very much faith in that process. What? Listen, here's the thing. That's why we need to pray for godly leaders, amen? Amen. We can invest in marriage and we can invest in family because we can't control what's happening around us in other people's lives, but we can make a decision for our family, amen? That is for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. In other words, it's for me and my house, we're going to submit and do it God's way. See, when we do that, we can begin to invest in the institution that God designed as a pillar of society for his light, for his glory. One more scripture before we close. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 13. I said this earlier. Jesus said it. You're the salt of the earth. If the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It's then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works 
and glorify your Father in heaven. Isn't this interesting that both in the salt of the earth statement and light of the world statement that Jesus said you are? Think about that for a minute. He didn't say you're going to be. He didn't say if you feel like it. He didn't say if you want to answer the call. He didn't say if you feel a yearning in your heart to be. No, he said, if you follow me, you are. So what type of salt and what type of light are we being? What type of salt, what type of light are we being in our marriages, in our relationships, and the way that we allow his principles to affect and rule our lives and his word and his truth? Because he said, this is who you are. Does your salt have some substance to it? Does your light shine bright enough that others can see? Is it known that you're a follower of Jesus? Because he said, you are. So the impact that we have on the world around us is going to be depending upon how much we recognize and accept the responsibility of who we are. Not who we may hope to be one day. No, it's who we are. You want to see change happen at work? You want to see change happen at home? Just be the salt. Just be the light. Amen? Because it's who you are. And the degree of effectiveness that we can have as salt and light are depending upon our ability to accept that responsibility to how salty the salt is, to how bright the light is. Because it's not what we're supposed to be one day. It's who we are now. I think there's a lot of different ways that we need to understand that we can grow as salt and light, as we can be more effective, as we can let our lives grow by principle. We need to invest in our marriage. We need to invest in our family. We need to invest in living our life God's way behind the scenes so that we can truly see foundational change in the world around us for the glory of God and for people to know the love and saving power of Jesus. And we have some ways here at Word of Grace that we want to help you and assist you to do those things as a church family that can come around you. That's why we have community groups. That's why community groups are so vital and so important because it provides... A, <coughs> sorry. Something caught in my throat. They provide... A, sorry. They provide accountability. Something that's hard sometimes to say. Something sometimes that we don't like to hear. And we say it in church, but we don't want to talk about it anywhere else because you're supposed to say it in church, but outside of that, I don't want it. Man, I need to be held accountable, amen? amen? You need to be held accountable. We all need to be held accountable. If you're failing and struggling in a certain area of your life, man, the best thing you could do is find somebody that you trust, that cares about you, that's a strong believer, and confess that thing to them, man, and ask them to hold you accountable. I've got a buddy of mine. He doesn't go to this church, and he's, he's um, in, in a later season in life. And he has been desperately struggling with his weight, trying to lose weight. He said, Derek, would you hold me accountable? And so he sends me a picture of the scale every single week because I'm helping him in that journey. And I'm holding him accountable. What did you eat? What did you do? You know, and I'm asking him those questions just because this guy says, I'm sick of this. I want to live by the principle of being healthy. I want to, I want to have a healthier life in these last, later years of my life. And so I'm trying to help this guy do this. But he knew he needed somebody to hold him accountable. Just like there's so many things in our lives that perhaps you struggle with that you need someone to hold you accountable. You need someone to ask, hey, how's it going? Someone to encourage you. 
Someone to help you stay on that right path. That's why God gives us community. So that's one of the great reasons we have community groups is for accountability. We also have marriage groups. I would also encourage you to spend time with other couples that you see. Maybe they've figured some things out. There's no perfect couple in this church. Nobody has everything figured out, but perhaps they've been through some things and they've come out on the other end still together and stronger as a result of it. And all you need to do is just say, hey, could I take you out to dinner sometime? I'm sure they would appreciate the dinner. And it would be a very valuable investment of your money and your time to take someone that you say, hey, I think these people have some things figured out. They don't treat each other the way me and my spouse treat each other. They don't talk to each other the way we do. I want to ask them some questions. Could I take you out to dinner? That's humbling yourself and saying, you know what? I don't know everything. Maybe God has showed these people some things that I want to learn without having to go through what they've had to go through to get there. Or I want them to help to impart and share some of that wisdom with me. Man, doing stuff like that, you guys, it's huge. I I, I used to have a guy that I used to hang out with in Oklahoma that that did that in my life. Always made me buy lunch. Used to aggravate me because he had a lot more money than I did. (laughs) But I don't don't take back any of those... Any, any of those lunches. I mean, this guy, this guy lived in a house that he like had a button that pushed the gate that when you go to the gate, goes, and it has like their initials like, you know, like welded in it. And he pulls up in like this big, huge, massive truck. And this guy, he, he just really did well in life. He always made me buy lunch, man, every time. <clears throat> I was making 24 grand as a youth pastor a year and I had to buy that guy lunch. <laughs> but let me tell you something. I, I, I tell you that for a reason. I tell you that because even though I wasn't making a lot of money, even though this guy definitely um, made more money than I did, I saw it as an investment in my life to spend time with this guy. And it's paid dividends in my life, the time that I spent with this guy. And that was a very, very cheap price to pay to be able to spend time with somebody that had figured some things out in life that I was trying to figure out. The way he treated his wife, the way he handled his money. The way he dealt with his children, and I, had, I didn't have children at the time. Man, I tell you, it's, it's worth it. We need accountability in our lives. Amen? Amen? Amen. I have a message to single people this morning, because I know I've talked a lot about married people, but I do have a, me- a message to single people, and I want to be very clear about this, because you have heard me say this very few times in the four years that I've been your pastor, but I truly believe this was an inspired word from the Lord that he gave me as a word of wisdom and a word of knowledge directly to people who are single. And I want you to listen to me and listen to me well. I don't know if it's for one individual or for a multitude, but I was instructed by the Lord to give this specifically. If you are single and desire to be married, stop looking in the wrong places for a mate. If they don't have an obvious relationship with Jesus and they don't openly profess to be a follower of Jesus, you're asking for trouble. Stop looking in the wrong places Stop being passive about your pursuit. It's time to put action behind your prayers, but do not compromise your moral principles and make excuses just because you don't want to be alone. Read the Word of God with your family. Amen? Pray with your spouse. That's not hard to do. I know it may be a stretch at first. It may be uncomfortable because guess what? Sometimes getting back to principle, we've been away from it for so long that it feels unnatural. You've got to push through the awkwardness. Amen? Amen? Push through the awkwardness. Yeah, maybe you've been doing this a certain way for so long and you're challenged today and you're squirming in your seat and you're like, I know I got to change. <laughs> and it's uncomfortable. 
And I don't like it any more than you do. But guess what? If I submit to it, man, the glory God's going to get through it and the benefit I'm going to receive, nothing in this world could buy it. The contentment that I get from following God and knowing that I am doing things in a way that bring Him glory. Amen? You know, Tuesday, we were up here having prayer. We have prayer every Monday through Thursday, 8.30 in the morning. If you want to ever come and join the staff, if you're available. We spend time in prayer, and there was a man here, and he was here with his child. And he was here praying. You know, his child was quietly coloring, you know, very well behaved. And uh, I, was really, I was really impressed. I walked in a little late that day. And I just saw this kid over there coloring, saw the dad over there just kneeled down praying. And then next thing, the child got up and got over there and went right next to dad and started laying down, started watching dad. And it spoke to me so just profoundly, the imagery of that moment, that the salt and the light of the earth is us setting the tone and doing the things God wants us to do. And look at the effect that it has and look at the little eyes that are watching. Amen? That's all I thought about the rest of the day. Because it shows me how you and I are called to be salt and light. How we're called to affect change. How we're called to set an example. Do your children know you pray? Do your children know you read the Bible? They just assume you do or do they ever see you do it? Does your spouse know you pray? Does your spouse know you're in the Word? Or do they just assume you do it? There's a whole lot of assuming going on. We need to have more modeling than assuming. Amen? Because me living my life based off of assumption is not going to help anybody. Somebody's got to be salt. Somebody's got to be light. Somebody's got to show that little kid how to pray. Amen? Amen. Somebody's got to show their spouse, this is how I pray. You've got to be vulnerable enough to share those times with that individual to help them to grow. Hmm. Invest in God's principles behind the scene, no matter how difficult or unnatural at first that it may be. Part of renewing your mind, part of changing and realigning your values is because you're admitting, God, I trust your way is better than my way. It's a trust thing, so what it is. Because it's not going to feel natural at first when you want to go back to principle, when you want to renew your mind, because you've got a groove cut out, man. It feels weird. Just like that first time you go to the gym and you're sore for like a week and you're like, I'm never doing that again. Well, guess what? You keep going, those times get shorter and shorter. The things that used to make you sore and used to challenge you, now there will be new challenges ahead. You're growing. You're getting stronger. That's what God wants us to do. So the things that are unnatural, I want to challenge you. Step out and do them. The things that you know, and I believe everybody in here, I don't believe I need to go through a laundry list of things and, and, and give you a checkoff list. I believe the Holy Spirit is speaking to each individual heart, and you know the things that you've strayed away from. You know the things. I don't have to get up here and say those things because the Holy Spirit's a lot bigger and more personal than I am. And the Holy Spirit is getting up in your grill. And He is telling you, you know the things. It's going to be unnatural. It's going to be challenging. But guess what? It's going to be better in the end because it's the right thing. Amen? Amen. So let's deal with those things that God's been confronting us with. Let's submit to Him, let's trust Him, and let's grow. Would you stand? Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit wogcc.org.